pleasure um, God's given to us in you. Thank you for sharing. You know, what struck me, um, which is what's precious about believers, is they know it's not about them. They know it's not about us. It's about real hope, the living hope. Makes me think of First Peter, as it starts out in chapter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fail, kept in heaven for you. Our hope. And, man, this world needs to hear about hope because it's scarce for many. So anyway, uh, our text this morning is John, of course we're in John 5, 16 through 24. And, man, I'm going to read this whole thing because it's got a lot of red letters in it. And one of the red letters, Jesus actually speaking. If there's somebody we need to hear from, it is Jesus. So if you will stand in his honor, I want to read from Matthew 5, 16 to 24. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Let's pray. What a promise, Lord, to believe on you, to repent and place our confidence in you. The result you tell us you promise is eternal life crossing over from death to life father i pray that's everyone's story here and lord if someone is listening either physically present or listening online and they do not know the living hope he's there great time to trust him to believe cross over from one side to the other from a place that's not safe to a place that is completely saved. I just pray, Father, that um, you say more than I ever could, Lord. We need to hear from your spirit and your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You be seated. Um, Jesus Christ is certainly the most important person who ever lived. I mean, he actually impacted our very calendar. You know, we have 
B.C., which, you know, I'm just a simple guy. I won't get into the big study of it, but I used to just look at it as B.C. was before Christ and A.D. was after his death. <laughs> but the tr truth of the matter is that there are those who, you know, want to look at those terms from a different perspective. Um, as a matter of fact, they want to look at B.C. is B.C.E., which means before the Christian era. And then they want to look at as A.D. as the common error that we have now. But no matter how you want to define it, no matter how much credit you want to give to the living God in Jesus Christ or not give credit to, you can't change the very fact that it's impacted our very calendar. Something significant happened that changed from, a, from B.C. to A.D. And what is significant is Jesus, Christ, who came, who dwelt among us, who faced death, who conquered death, who now has ascended, is at the right hand of the Father. And what blows me away, it says he prays for us. He is our intercessor. We live in a day where people would say, you know, the most important question is, who am I? People go on these great searches to try to discover, who am I? They go to great depths to try to figure out, just who am I? But the truth of the matter is, the greater question, which I think is even more valuable and important, is this. Who am I in relationship to who he is. You see, we can only fully understand who we are in relation to understanding who he is and becoming who we truly are by knowing who he is. Because only in Christ are we made whole. We're broken. We need to be mended. We need to be restored. We need to be fixed. And that comes only through the power of Christ. And of course, we always want church to be about Jesus. If you leave here and you don't hear Jesus' name, you haven't been to church. You've been to something else. <laughs> because he is the one who deserves our total worship. Now, I know sometimes uh, we've got some people, you know, the answer is always Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And, and so like in Sunday school, you know, you've probably heard the old story of the Sunday school teacher who, who was teaching... Um, the first and second grade class. And so she was teaching about Noah's Ark and the animals, and she began by saying, um, I'm going to tell you about an animal, and I'm going to tell you about an animal, and you tell me who, which it is. And so she says, I'm furry, I have a bushy tail, and I like to climb trees. The kids kind of look at each other. No answer. So she goes on. She continues. And she says, I like to eat nuts, especially acorns. Still, dead silence. So she tries one more time. I'm usually brown or gray. Sometimes I can be black or even red. Now the teacher becomes desperate and turns to Michelle, who always answers the questions in the class. And she says, Michelle? You know the answer. You know the answer. And Michelle answers and she says, well, I know the answer is always Jesus. 
but it sure sounds a lot like a squirrel. The truth of the matter is, sometimes we talk about Jesus, but we don't try to find out who Jesus is. And guys, that is the most important question. Who is, who is Jesus? And who am I in relation to Jesus Christ? You know, in the scriptures, there's all kinds of examples of people who got it wrong as far as this question, who is Jesus? Um, just a few examples. In John chapter 7, they said he's a good man. And yet, a few verses later in the chapter, some say he was a deceiver of other people. In Matthew 16, there are those who said he was John the Baptist, resurrected from the dead. Still others said he was Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In John chapter 6, because he fed them a good lunch, they wanted to proclaim him an earthly king and force him into power as an earthly king. Um, that. They wanted to make him a politician. <laughs> in Luke chapter 23, they called him a tax evader. And then in John chapter 10, they said he was demon-possessed. In Mark chapter 3, his own family said he's crazy, he's out of his mind. Uh, traditionally, the Jews look at Jesus Christ as illegitimate, <laughs> not as a child born of a virgin, as a matter of fact, in the Talmud, they describe Mary as a hairdresser. I'm not sure where that came from, but uh, that's their view. There are still uh, those like in Islam who see Jesus Christ as a prophet, but not as God himself. Strauss, a German rationalist, said he was the highest model of all religion. And we hear that from others today that to say Jesus is the ultimate example. He came to show us how we are supposed to live. He is the model teacher. Follow his great example. Napoleon Bonaparte has said this, whoever he was, he was more than a man. And then, of course, uh, we know years ago there was this musical called Jesus Christ Superstar. So he was like the ultimate celebrity. <laughs> the one who was the most popular and has the most charisma. But we want to look at four claims today from our text here where Jesus tells us who he is. And, and so let's look at that. Beginning in verse 16, I want us to note that the text tells us about the relationship between Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father, that both of them are working there at work. So look at verse 16 with me. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. What thanks? He was breaking their precious rules. Their precious idea of what it means to rest on the day set apart for God, for the Lord. He was stepping into suffering and freeing people from their pain. And for that, <laughs> he was persecuted. Or at least that was part of the reason for the persecution. Let me go on. He says, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Notice their response in verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, 
what a claim that was being made by him. He wasn't speaking like God is our Father in the general sense that all people share the image of God, the likeness of God. And so we are all God's children and we all share this common bond and we have this cosmic energy that we share together. No, he was making a very unique claim. When he spoke of the Heavenly Father as his Father, he, he wasn't speaking in some generic sense like all people have this in common. He was saying that I am unique. There is no one like me. That the Heavenly Father and the Son work together for a common cause and a common purpose. It's interesting that there are some churches like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and some other churches, they do not recognize the claims of Jesus Christ. Um, they do not see him as co-equal with God the Father, as God, as deity. You see, in, in, in this single passage, and actually throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes clear claims that somehow people miss. He clearly tells us that he is more than just a model of religion. He's more than just somebody you are to imitate. Guys, he says, I am God in the flesh. I am the living God. Here's some of the claims that he made to the Samaritan woman we looked at a few weeks ago. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. To the crowds in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. To the leaders in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. A little further on in the chapter, he says, I'm from above. I'm not from this world. And if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. You see, he is the one unique person that can change our eternal destination. He's the only one that can free us, that can forgive us, <laughs> that, that can change the bad road that we are on, that can make all things new. That, that's Jesus Christ. You see, if you summarize all this together, what Jesus claimed is this. He's the quencher of thirst, the satisfier of hunger, the light of the world. He is heaven sent. He predated the existence of Abraham. He is the door of salvation, and he is the exact representation of God the Father. You see, over and over again, throughout the book of John, he clearly says, I am God in a human body. And it's inescapable what he says. There are those critics out there who claim, well, you know, these disciples, they hung around him and then they wrote this stuff down and, and you know, they just kind of invented this. They imagined it and created it. But guys, how can you talk like you know what happened when you were not even there? These people that wrote this down, they were there. They saw it with their own eyes. They experienced the presence of Jesus Christ. And they are making a bold statement as eyewitnesses who were directly there. And so we can believe their testimony. And to not believe it is to say, you who were not there knows more than those who were there. That's what many of the skeptics say. Here, William Lane Craig is an apologist. I'm going to read to you a quote from Craig. He says, Within 20 years 
of the crucifixion of full-blown Christology proclaiming Jesus as God incarnate already existed. How does one explain this worship by monotheistic Jews of one of their own countrymen as being God incarnate apart from the claims of Jesus himself? If Jesus never made any such claims, then the belief of the earliest Christians in this regard becomes inexplicable. Now, what point Jesus is making to these guys is when they're saying it's the Sabbath day, the big point they're saying is God the Father doesn't take the day off and neither does Jesus. He has been working until now alongside together with God the Father, Jesus has, and that God never takes a break. He never takes a Sabbath. He is always at work. And, of course, someone will say, well, what about when God created the heavens and the earth and then he took a break? It wasn't like he was exhausted because he said, I'm just tired of working on these long necks on these giraffes. Phew, I just need to take a nap. No way. God spoke and it became. When his vast power that we can't even comprehend or fully imagine, that did not exhaust him. Creation was not something that was so difficult for him that it drained him of his power and his greatness and his authority. That's not what it means. It means he was finished with what he created. But he didn't stop. He didn't just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to let everything run itself and not be involved in what I have made and what I have created. No, he not only created us and created all that is around us. Guys, the scripture makes it clear that he sustains us. Listen to Colossians 1.17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Without him, what's it say? We'd all fall apart. Everything would fall apart. <laughs> he is the sustainer of all things. He keeps everything working. That is our God. That is Christ. So here's the question. Why do we not rest in Him? Why do we act as if our work is going to do more than Him? Than His work. Than His activity. Why do we get so worried that we cannot find peace? It's because we forget who He is. It is because we do not place our confidence in the right place. Do you really think you're all that? <laughs> We're not. <laughs> but He is. We place our confidence there. I need to move on to the next one. The Father and the Son together perform miracles. As you go down through the Scripture here, He says twice here, Truly, I tell you. Man, it, it, as he speaks to these unbelievers, these pious Jewish leaders, he gives them some very direct answers. <laughs> Look at verse 19. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Man, they work together. They are in perfect harmony and unison. Whatever the Father does and wills to be forth in heaven, the Son does upon the earth. God moves and He works, and the two of them work as divine partners, totally in harmony for His work. He goes on in the text, he says, The Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. To your amazement, He will show Him even greater things 
than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. 37 miracles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are recorded. Three of those miracles are resurrections. People who were without life. They were lifeless. They were dead. They didn't stay dead because Jesus entered the picture. And they were bought from death to life. Of course, there's Lazarus who's described to us in chapter 11 of John. And the King James uh, may have just says it bluntly. <laughs> this is verse 39 of John chapter 11. Jesus says, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. This guy stinketh. He is smelling it up. You really want us to take away that stone, Lord? It's not going to be a pretty sight. <laughs> Yet Jesus knew what he was up to. It was beyond what we could understand or what we could conceive. And we know that Lazarus did not stay in the grave. And he called his name specifically, as one preacher said, or all the graves would empty and all would come back from the grave. He called one man specifically because that was the man who he came to bring from death to life. There's also the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum that he raised from the dead. And there's the son of a widow from Nain, a village outside of Nazareth and he goes on there and, and as he says in this text that we read not only will I bring the dead back to life he said I'm in charge of judgment I'm in charge of the judgment that will come where the things that we have done will be brought forth and made plain no longer hidden and man what I love is that Jesus Christ through his death through his willingness to come and to pay the price of what he did not owe, that we could not pay, that judgment was paid in full. Man, this is stuff that ought to make a Baptist happy. As I like to say, make us Bapticostals. You know, when we think about the movement of God, um, we hear, well, God doesn't, you know, He's, he's so far away. He is in heaven. and He doesn't care about us. And Look at all this suffering that is around us. Guys, if the cross says nothing else, it says that God, who did not have to step into our suffering, left the glory of heaven and the full worship upon His throne, and He entered into our suffering. You see, He was tempted in every way, yet He did not sin. Why? Because He's God. And as He faced suffering he is able to help us in our suffering he is able to move into where we are because he's been there he knows what humanity he knows what we who we are he has compassion he had compassion on the crowd he has compassion on us because he came to restore broken people he loved he loves us you can't get too broken to find his healing can't be too broken to find his healing. When Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, it's amazing to think of, but he weeps over those who would reject him. 
those who would lead him to the cross. Uh, that is his heart. We don't pray to a God who's stuck up in heaven and who is distant from where we are, but we pray to a God who has stepped into this place and given us hope, a living hope. All right, let me move to this third one. The Father and the Son both deserve worship. Look at uh, verse 23 with me in our text. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus Christ deserves our worship. There are those who say, I worship the guy upstairs, uh, you know. I, I worship that uh, big guy who made everything and, you know, who loves me. And, but I don't know about this Jesus character. I, I can worship God my way and at my time and when, how I want to do it. Think about how Jesus uh, was persecuted. Not only was he persecuted for breaking the Sabbath, but he was persecuted because he told them who he is. That he and the Father are equal. That they share a unique, established relationship that has always been. And that is why they got so angry. What, what was the result of their anger? They accused him of blasphemy. And blasphemy is simply saying, I am God. Okay? But here's the deal. If anybody else had said it, yes. But he is God. And so when he said it, guess what? They committed blasphemy. Because as Jesus said here, if you're going to honor the Father, you must honor the Son. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. There's no separation there. If you want to know who God is, you must look to Jesus Christ. You know, Thomas... Uh, Poor apostle, he's taking a lot of grief because he was struggling with it. You sure you guys saw what you really saw? And, you know, Jesus appeared and he said, Thomas, just touch the nail where the nails had been. Thomas, it doesn't tell us Thomas ever did that. He just said, my Lord and my God. He proclaimed his belief. He, he, he said, yeah, so you are, Lord. Then there were the times when the children we're shouting Hosanna, and that means save us now, Lord. And people were criticizing the children. And Jesus said to them, he quoted from Scripture, part of Scripture that says, Have you not read that out of the mouths of children you have ordained or perfected praise? It's the most natural thing to want to worship God. And he is saying, don't stop them, they're doing what is right. They're giving honor to the Son, just as to the Father. D.A. Carson commented on this passage, and he said this, Such a statement belongs either to the one who is God or else to one who is insane. <laughs> Anybody who says, oh, by the way, you need to honor me just like you honor God the Father is either a nutcase or he is God. None of this trying to stay in the mushy middle, as Tim Keller says. We have to move out of that mushy middle, and we have to make a decision. Is he a megalomaniac? Is he an habitual liar? 
Is he a nutcase or is he God? And we are here because we proclaim he's God. And he is our living The Jews thought they were worshiping God while they were rejecting Jesus. But the truth of the matter is they were rejecting both because they did not recognize the true identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, who are we in regard to who he is? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Christ? Philippians 2 so beautifully says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You know what? It says that's going to happen whether you volunteer or not. Oh, man, don't let it be at that moment when he is clearly at the place where we see him as one to be worshipped, all of mankind, all of humanity. Let it be that we voluntarily, that out of a heart that has come to recognize him, find ourselves falling on our faces, on our knees before him and our tongues confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that we don't have to be coerced or forced on our knees and to make that proclamation. Now is the time to make that beautiful proclamation. So how, how do we give glory to Jesus Christ now? Well, first, guys, it is to believe on him who died for us, to have our sins forgiven through his perfect work at Calvary. Second, it's to live for him every day, for he to be Lord of our lives. Quite frankly, um, he's boss. It's to wake up each day and surrender again. What do you want today, Lord? How do I need to surrender today, Lord? May I not miss you now, Lord? So critical. Okay, last point here. The Father and the Son, because who they are in tandem, will determine our eternal welfare, where we will go. Verse 24, our last verse here. He tells us, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Scott and I went to a neat, they had a seminary for a day they do every year and we had a great time. We went over Euclid Avenue and they had a professor, um, he was a professor of evangelism at Southeastern Theological Seminary, Baptist Seminary. And uh, he, he was a real blessing. He, he helped get Scott and I fired up a little bit listening, listening to his testimony and the good word that he shared. And Anyway, while we were there, I was just looking around some of the other pastors over there. And one of the pastors had on this T-shirt. I've seen this before, but I thought it was really cool. K-N-O-W. No God, no peace. And then, I think, I can't remember if it's on the back of the shirt or underneath. It said, 
N-O, no God, no peace. It made all the difference to be part of a K-group if that no God and no peace. When, when you know Christ, guys, that, that is the difference. That, that is what we need. It, as he said, as Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He's crossed over from death to life. And you know what's sad? There are some people that say, well, I'm agnostic. In other words, I just don't know. I just don't know. But let me tell you, to, not, to claim to not make a decision is to make a decision. Because you cannot not make a decision about Jesus Christ. He is either Lord or He is not. He is either Savior or He is not. The Jews, those leaders, we're told twice they sought to kill Him. What were they saying? We don't want that Messiah. We want something else. Listen, we're not the guys that call the shots, okay? We're to believe. If we miss Him, we miss God. It is that simple, and it is that true. For those who say, well, you know, this Jesus guy, he asks a lot. He wants a lot. I've still got to figure this out. There's certainly things we need to figure out, and I get that. But many times, that's just an excuse that says, you know, I really do not want someone else to be in control of my life. So I'm just going to bide my time. You can't do that with Jesus. He's either our living hope or we're heading toward a life without hope. So, you know what? The difference is between it being a joy to serve Christ and not a joy to serve Christ. Whether he is a stranger or whether he is your intimate Lord. People who about Jesus, they don't really know him. They haven't really lived in a life he provides, and so he is a stranger. Listen, guys, my heart is that he was there. There would be no one here that would say he's a stranger to me. Really, I've heard about him, but he's strange and a stranger. He doesn't say he doesn't stay a stranger. When we say yes to him and begin to walk with him. Sometimes we go up, sometimes we go down. But he stays in a place of worship for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ. He is the life. Um, it says in John 11, 25, 26, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There, there is a hope that you provide that is available to us, but there is a condition. We must surrender. We must see things as you see, Lord, and we must follow. We must move from being a stranger to discovering that you are our Abba, our dear Daddy who wants to make everything new and 
Lord, to give us real hope. So, Father, I just pray this morning we'd respond to you at this altar or where we are. Or, Father, we just want to give you praise that you deserve. That we realize that to honor the Father is to honor the Son. And so, prayer is simply, may the Son be honored this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.